Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. We're back after a three-week break and in that time plenty has been happening at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Alistair Gold joining me as ever. Ali, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I should stress that everyone always makes this big deal about whenever I'm away, things happen at Tottenham. But I should state that Robert Guest has been away on an American tour in recent weeks and Spurs, have, you know, they haven't been too quiet in the transfer market. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm starting to wonder whether actually it's uh, Guesty that influences Tottenham transfer dealings. And uh, I presume you enjoyed your time away in America. I did, yeah. It it was uh, it was good. June's usually a safe time to go on holiday in the world of Tottenham and transfers, because it <laughs> always happens towards the end of the window. But no, not this time. I think two were announced during my two weeks off and it's just uh, a really good start to the window and hopefully there'll be a few more players coming in through the door. Oh, definitely. I think it's going to be a really busy time. I think I was actually speaking to someone yesterday about it and it's really interesting that I think Spurs have flipped around the way they do stuff and I think a lot of it helped with the £150 million cash injection because in the past, you know, people would have heard you and I say this so many times, we've got to sell to buy, they've got to sell to buy, got to get players out the door first, otherwise the squad's massive. But actually, I think the £150 million has kind of put Spurs in this position where they can actually get the incomings going first and then worry about the outgoings a little bit later on. Um, and that's been huge in actually setting up the squad ahead of pre-season. And, uh, you just kind of wish it would happen every year because it looks like they're finally fixing the way they do things. Yeah, and let's talk about the new signing anyway. Uh, Eve Basuma from Brighton and Hove Albion. He's a player who's made a real impression in the Premier League over the past few seasons. It's a deal what could be worth more than £30 million. That's including add-ons. And George, just gives you your thoughts, first of all, in a deal what I think has gone down really, really well with the fan base. Yeah, I think the outside the club view on it is it's probably one of the signings so far of the summer transfer window. Yeah, obviously, other than Erling Haaland, which obviously we knew about before the season had ended, and uh, Darwin Nunes is probably going to be a pretty decent player as well. But outside of that, you know, I think Bissouma, that's probably, you know, especially if the basic fee we're looking at obviously is below 30 million. It's, it's most, a lot of that is add ons as well. Um, it's a bargain. It really is for a player who probably has been one of the best players outside the traditional top six in recent years, I'd say. Um, you know, certainly even in the games against Tottenham alone, he's been superb whenever I've seen him. Um, and I think the key thing for me about this signing is, you know, he's going to be 26 soon. This is signing a guy who is nearing his prime. It's not signing a potential player, a young kid or anyone like that. It is a player who is Premier League ready. He will go straight into that team and be able to perform and to a very high level. Um, very exciting signing. And when you look at those midfield options now, Spurs have... I wonder if Spurs are up there with the best midfield, central midfield quartet out there in terms of the actual choices they've got. Um, and, and, you know, when you think about even like Benton Kerr, he's only been at, in England for, <clears throat> excuse me, a few months, really. So he's got to still adapt and fully get used to the English game. Obviously, you've got Hoybier, who we know what he brings. He is a general. 
Um, he is, I thought, was magnificent in some of the big games for Spurs last season. And then you've got Oliver Skip, who you know has the potential to be one of the best young midfielders in the Premier League. Um, you know, but I I wouldn't be stunned if we see Oliver Skip maybe sneak his way into the World Cup squad. I, I do think generally he could have that big an impact if he gets a run of. I think he will get a run of games, but it depends on what competition Spurs next uh, season. I do think when you look at that four and the different qualities they bring, they've also got some similar traits as well. I think Basuma adding to that, and obviously the reason I'm not mentioning Harry Winks is, is not because I'm snubbing him; it is because I. You know, it looks very likely that he'll head off, and a certain Everton I know are very interested in him as well among the other clubs. Um, so yeah, as a four, I think Basuma just adds huge quality to that, and uh, top player, top player. Yeah, he's exactly what Spurs need. It's just more quality. That's what you need to do when you're a, a club looking to move up the Premier League table. Uh, I mean, look at. Liverpool and Man City this season they're the two right at the top but they don't stop strengthening City signing Haaland Liverpool's signing Darwin Nunes and that's what you need to do and you know Spurs of bringing Basuma in it's such a good deal for such a good price he's been absolutely outstanding for Brighton probably one of their standout players in the past season past two seasons and just looking back at the highlights when uh, Brighton played Spurs in the FA Cup in I think it was start of February Spurs 2-0 mm-hmm. up at half time looked like it was going to be uh, you know pretty straightforward in the second half but then Bissouma grabbed the game by uh, the neck and scored a deflected goal uh but before that, he was having a good couple of runs in midfield and Spurs just couldn't really live with him. And then in the game in, I think it was April, where Brighton won 1-0 again, you know, a really, really good display in the middle of the park. So Spurs are bringing in a quality player and that that's what Spurs need if they want to be, you know, pushing the likes of Liverpool and Man City going forward and making sure they remain in the top four. And just having those four options in midfield now is great for Conte. There's going to be an awful lot of football to be played uh, over the course of this coming season with the return of Champions League football. Then you've got the Carabao Cup and FA Cup as well to factor in. And, you know, a couple of seasons ago, Pierre-Emil Heubjerg, he played every single minute uh, in all 38 Premier League games. Uh, Bissouma just gives you bit more quality uh, in that position, more options. I think it's really, really good for Spurs. It's just interesting now who's going to partner who in midfield. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think I wrote it in a piece the other day. I, I know Conte's trying to drill this mentality out of the squad and the club and the whole thinking that there is a, cert- a starting eleven That needs to be gone. It needs to be that this has got to be a squad, all of similar levels, every position with multiple players that can come in of the similar standard and they're all fighting for a spot. That's what big clubs do. They don't just look at it as, oh, yeah, well, we can sign this player for the bench. It's not how it works. You, know, you sign these players to push everyone and every, and that's exactly what Basuma is. I think this preseason you'll see all the different midfield potential partnerships used um, as he tries to work out who blends the best together. You know, it may be that Basuma and Skip complement each other the best, and because we know Benzema and Hoybier works, or it could be, you know, it could be that one of those two works well with Basuma. 
I should also mention, because I'll always get someone that tells me off and not mention him or ask the question, what's happened with him? Pape Matasar, obviously, another central midfielder who will be finally heading to Tottenham this summer. Um, Conte will have a look at him. Only 19, probably we'd imagine we'll head out on loan, whether it's this summer or whether it's in January. Um, but either way, that is another central midfielder to add to the bunch. Um, but yeah, quality-wise, that's exactly what it's all about. This, this central midfield now exemplifies exactly what Conte is saying about the quality in the squad and how every position needs that. Two, two at least two players who really deserve to start. And that's just going to make his job difficult in a good way. And that's the way it should be. I mean, uh, just on Basuma, I was speaking to Richie Mills, who we know very well as the, um, the Brighton reporter from Sussex Live. He's watched Basuma week in, week out in recent seasons. And I was just asking him some stuff about him and, and some of the, the answers he's given back. Well, actually, all the answers he was given back were really interesting. Just to get that from someone who sees him week in, week out, I'll just say a few of these for the, for the listeners. So I asked him what Spurs fans can expect. He said they can expect one of the best ball winners in the game, a marauding athletic midfielder who can go box to box and he's capable of the odd wonder goal. He's predominantly right-footed, favours shorter passes over long ones, and he's very competent at driving out from the back to kickstart an attack. His dribbling and close ball control has come on leaps and bounds too. When he joined Brighton in 2018, he showed flashes of brilliance, but he was inconsistent. Now he rarely has a bad game. And what I think was probably most interesting, I asked him what his weaknesses were, and he said, because a, deficiency, a defensive part of his game is so good, some of his deficiencies are not a big issue. If he could iron those out, he will be world-class. His shot success is pretty low. Um, his long-range passing could be worked on. He does tend to pick up too many yellow cards. I think he picked up 10 yellow cards and he missed three games last season. But he said, and it's a bit like we said with Romero, it's one of those difficult things where if you take away that side of his game, you probably are losing something about the fire that makes them such a good player. So, yeah, a bit of a double-edged sword. He said he's incredibly fit as well, very popular in the changing room, very good as playing with others, as it were. Um, yeah, he just raved about him. So um, Spurs are getting some player there. Yeah, he's made such a name for himself in the Premier League, but I still think he can go up another level or two, especially yeah. working under Antonio Conte. Conte himself was a central midfielder. Uh, Juventus won honours galore uh, during his time at the club. And, you know, having Conte is going to help Oliver Skip's game. We've not seen a lot of Skip on the Conte so far because of that injury. Hoiberg looks much better in the final few months of the season, delivered some really big performances. Benton Kerr's come in also, you know, produce some real quality moments for Tottenham when they've needed him in the middle of the pass. He's just such a calm and composed player. And I think the chance for Bissouma to work on the Conte, he's only going to help his game and there's just going to be so much more to come from him as well. I think it's just, I don't know who's going to partner who in midfield now. You're thinking Bissouma's going to be the one who comes in given what Spurs have spent on him. Benton K, you think, is a certain starter, but then... Can you really leave Hoiberg out, given the performance he was delivering in the final few months? And then look and what Oliver, Sk yeah, and then look what Oliver Skip was doing in the first few months of the season. It's, it's such a headache for Antonio Conte, but I mean, it's a great one to have. Well, yeah, and they've got so many matches. This is the key thing now, and, and what we 
we as media and the fans and everyone have to kind of, I guess, take into account now is that the Champions League changes everything because you have to play, you know, other than the odd group game, if you've tied up the, the league, uh, sorry, the group, you really need to play your best team in Champions League matches. Whereas obviously in the past, Spurs have had Europa League, Conference League, they've been able to mix up the team, play the kids, whatever. So now you're in a scenario where you need, you've got to play your best team in the Champions League, but then also for those surrounding games um, in the Premier League, you've got to play an incredibly strong team as well. So whether it is two of those midfield four playing in one match and then three days later the other two playing the Champions League match, that's the way it's going to have to be. And that is what we're talking about with the you don't want to drop off in quality. Um, and that, I think, has been a big thing for Conte, especially... Let's be honest, probably the two most important positions in a uh, Conte team are the wing-backs and the central midfielders. And both of those are because of the ridiculous workload they have. The wing-backs, we know, essentially, they're defenders and wingers all in one. They're constantly up and down the pitch. With the central midfielders, in one moment, they've got to be defensive, battling, anchormen type. But then in the next breath, they've got to win the ball back, turn the possession over really quickly and get the ball up the pitch to the attackers. And also, one of them kind of has to be a bit of a playmaker as well as well, and be able to play those clever balls through to either the attackers or you know, or the wing-backs. So, yeah, I think that's been a key thing for him, is making sure he's got four players he really trusts in those positions. Um, and, yeah, we're going to see. We've also got the Carabao Cup. And, yeah, we're going to talk about later with the fixtures how around those Champions League games, there's some big Premier League matches that come either just before or just after, days before these Champions League games. So Conte can't afford a let-up in quality. And this is why I think the Basuma one, it's a real signalling of a, a different way of thinking for Spurs. Look, I know it's a cheaper deal, which obviously is the Spurs way as well at times. But I just love the idea that it's a player who is approaching his prime. Like, like you say, he's got another level, I think, at least to go. And I think he could be, you know, a real world beater in that position. But just the fact that I don't actually think he's guaranteed his place. I don't think he is. And I think that's, that's exactly the point. I don't think anyone should be. I mean, obviously, you probably look at Son, Kane and Lloris. They're the three who probably will believe their place is guaranteed. But hopefully... With this new Tottenham and the way it's going, maybe eventually all three of those will have competition that makes their places not guaranteed. And uh, that's a big club. And that's what Tottenham need to be. I think we'll move on to Pierre-Emil Hoiberg now. So obviously, there's been talk about his future uh, this summer with the addition of Basuma coming in, being linked with Roma, uh, with a, a reunion with Jose Mourinho in the Italian capital. But as we understand, he won't be going anywhere this summer. And I mean, simple decision to make, really. Midfield general, you know, he's uh, a leader. That's one player Tottenham can't afford to get rid of. No, I think you and I are kind of a similar mind on this. We see some of the stuff that's said on social media about him. And it's a bit like, are you watching the same player? I don't get that. I mean, yes, he definitely had a dip midway through the season. I think he did. I think that's probably a bit of overuse because, again, last season, only Harry Kane played more minutes than him. And they both of them played in 50 games each. I think it was only Ben Davies who played in more games, which was 51, but he actually did less minutes than Hoybier. Um, And that's what 
the Basuma signing will do. It will allow um, Hoybier to have more rest and then you won't hopefully get that dip. But I would say in the early months under Nuno, I thought he was one of the better players, pretty much brought his Euros form in. I thought at the end of the season, some of those big games, you know, I remember being very good against United in the Leicester game in the North London derby. I thought he was dragging Spurs through some of those games at points. I think he is a leader. You know, he's a member of the senior... Um, what I call it, a senior players group within the club. Um, he's a very opinionated guy. He's a very intense character. He always wants the best. And, and he and Conte, I think, share a lot of opinions is probably the best way to put it with each other, uh, which is no bad thing. It's like uh, Poch and Vertonghen used to be. And I just think players like that drive squads on. They do. They don't settle for anything less than the best. You know, he and Dyer, I'm told, are the first men in the training ground and they're like among the last to leave at the end of the day. Um, I don't get it. I, I didn't get it. I mean, I, I sometimes see players who are scapegoated and you kind of think, okay, well, their confidence is low. You can see how they're only contributing in uh, indirectly to the kind of flack they're getting. But with Hoiby, I, I never understood it. It's like, yes, he can be a bit erratic in his passing. Definitely. I've seen that. I've also seen him play some wonderful passes, like he did um, the Kane assist against Leeds. It was a brilliant little chip ball, and he's played a few of those. So to say he's not got in his locker, I don't think is the case. To say he's a basic player, I don't think is the case. I think there's this weird thing. Some people have got this fascination with apparently he waves his arms around a lot and tells others what to do or something. Uh, it's like, that's kind of what leaders do <laughs> I don't understand that's a negative I don't get that I mean I think maybe perhaps they're saying he does that rather than doing the work himself I don't know but like I say he has now got massive competition for his spot as well so he's not going to be able to let his form dip because he knows he'll be out of the um the squad so yeah as all the word coming out of Spurs is absolutely no plan to sell him this summer um Roma one, I presume they got Matic anyway. Now, surely that's you know, I don't, I don't think they would have been. They've been linked with him. Anyone that Mourinho has managed before, I saw even Tongi was linked to Roma as well, which made me chuckle. So, can you imagine that reunion? <laughs> that would be an interesting one. Um, but in terms of Hoybier, yeah, I, I think he's the kind of guy you need in your squad. I would not be looking to put him anywhere near that exit door, and I think that's that's the word that's coming out of the club. Yeah, he's just a total no-brainer for me. He's got to say he's just a winner. He comes across as a winner. Everything he does, his mentality. He's started at Bayern Munich, didn't he? Yeah. Worked under Pep. Didn't get a lot of game time there, but Pep seemed to absolutely you know, adore yeah. him, really. Uh, he's worked under Mourinho. Worked under Conte now. He's just uh, he's someone every Premier League squad needs, really, just a midfield general, someone who will just do the dirty work and just get on with it. And, you know, he's he's a great player as well. Uh, yes, as you mentioned, he did have that dip last season. I think it was against Southampton where he came off early. He was substituted, was then left on the bench against Wolves in the following game that he get on, got on at all. But then he came back into the team against Man City away. And he was fantastic at the yeah. Etihad. Played a key role in that victory. And then since then, he's just really kicked on. Excellent it's against... like he needed a rest. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> I mean, he played 
every single minute in the previous season in all 38 Premier League games. And yeah, it is just the case of he probably just needed the breather just to try and get back to his best. And since that City game at the Etihad, his performances were brilliant against United and those Spurs were on the losing side. It was fantastic that day at Old Trafford. And another of a number of other big performances to help Spurs get in that Champions League place. And then you've seen him this summer playing for Denmark. Oh, he's been brilliant for Denmark, yeah. Yeah, chipping in with goals and assists. I think really good assist was it away at France. Uh, really yeah. good pass into the box. And then he's, he's scored as well. So, yeah, he might be seen as a bit more of a, a defensive player. But for Denmark in, at the Euros, was he top assist yeah, I think he was. He wasn't a joint top assist or something like yeah, that? Yeah, about second place, I think. Three assists. Uh, he's he's done it for Spurs before. Chips him with a couple of goals this past season. Assists as well. So he certainly can offer uh, that for Spurs going forward. And I think with Basuma coming in, I think it'll early drive Hoybier on to greater levels now because he knows uh, as well as Benteker and Skip. He's in a fight for his place now. There's real quality in midfield, and that's only a good thing for Tottenham going forward. Yeah. And do you know what else he does, which is often underrated, but it's something that Spurs have always lacked at times. He's a pain in the backside for oppositions. He really is. We've also Potts used to always talk about maybe the team needed to learn those dark arts and things like that. Hoybier has absolutely masters those. He's maybe that's what the some of the people at Scapegoat him see. Maybe they see him. Sometimes going down that little bit easy, sometimes screaming when someone challenges him or moaning at the referee at every little thing that happens on the pitch. But it's all part of it. And again, you watch the big clubs, you watch their players. That's exactly what they do as well. They learn to manipulate the game. They learn to put pressure on the referee and the assistants. It's not the beautiful game, but it is part of the game. And I think every top team has players like that who opposition you know, fans rage about and absolutely will get so annoyed at. But they know how to play the game. And, you know, and he he was studied from the best, <laughs> like you say. Guardiola, Mourinho, um, Conte now as well. And, yeah, I just think I think he's very underrated, Hoybier, for what he does. Um, there's this kind of maybe a desire that every single player that plays needs to be the perfect all-round player who can do everything. And it's like, well, that's not really how football works. You have people for specific roles, and the roles that he carries out for Spurs, he's excellent at. Yeah, he, he just makes Tottenham tick. And the one thing I like about if a player's not pulling the weight, he'll have a go at them. He's not bothered who it is. I can remember in the Carabao Cup against Burnley back in October, I think, towards the end of the game, Harry Kane wasn't going to close down uh, one of their players in Hybeck. I had a right go at him. He's not bothered if it's Kane, Son or someone else in the team. If someone's not pulling the weight, he will let them know because that's the type of player he is. He is a winner. And I think, for me, yeah, it's, it's pretty simple. He's got to stay and be part of the squad. Yeah. Right, shall we talk about another Danish player now? Uh, Christian Eriksen, he was someone who was heavily tipped to move to Tottenham this summer, given his contract at Brentford is due to expire in about what nine days' time, the end of June. 
So there's question marks over when exactly, uh, where exactly he will be going this summer. Manchester United have been linked, Spurs, a number of other clubs. Uh, do you want to just give us the latest on his future rally? Yeah, I mean, I should point out to those who can't see what just happened. Guess he just looked at his watch when he was looking at how long <laughs> Ericsson's got. And I just thought he's you were actually going to yeah, no, no, he's got the date in nine minutes' time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a it's a strange one with Ericsson because I should start off by saying I think he ticks every box for Tottenham. I think it's a bit of a no-brainer, but from everything I'm hearing, and I've spoken to people on both sides of the, this kind of potential deal, and it all seems to unfortunately be pointing in the same direction that Spurs are calling their their interest in him. Um, from what I understand, last time anyone at Spurs was in contact with his camp was two weeks ago. Um, nothing since. Um, all the voices coming out from Spurs right now are distancing themselves from any discussions about Ericsson whatsoever. Um, and yeah, from from what I know, it's not just Spurs, obviously. We know very well Manchester United, Brentford, Everton, Newcastle, Leicester, West Ham, Ajax and one unnamed La Liga side have all contacted his representatives about um, a potential move. Um, I also understand while it was initially seen that he'd like to stay in London because his family are very settled, I think the sheer volume now of the options that he's got and places he could go, it's not a, the be-all and end-all. Um, and do you know what? I, I just I don't I don't get the Spurs side of it. I don't really, unless I can only presume that some either they've got some kind of sense that they can't get him. That's one side, or the other side is perhaps there's something about it that they don't agree with, whether it might be the salary, whether it might be the years of contract that he's asking for. I don't know, but something has has started to make them veer away. Um, and the reason I say it's strange is because we know Conte likes him and Conte said during the season he'd like to have him um, at Spurs um, it played him regularly from January onwards in their title winning season he was a key component of that three in the midfield for Inter um, Paratic he really likes him I know that as well because he tried to sign him at Juventus um, and also Spurs I know have tried to get him back in the past they tried to get him back on loan. Um, I think it might have even just been before that period where he started to play regularly for Inter. I think that was when they tried to get him back, maybe a year after he'd left. Um, so they wanted Ericsson back. Conte wanted Ericsson. Paratici likes Ericsson. I think Ericsson, from what I understand, has a big affection still for Spurs. I don't get it. I don't get it. I, I don't know where he's going to go. Um, from what I understand, he hasn't made up his decision yet. He's away on a holiday now after his international duty and he's going to have a proper think about all of the options that he has. Um, but yeah, I just find it really strange that suddenly Spurs have veered away and, and I'm fascinated to... I'm digging away trying to find out the exact reason um, because I must admit, from certain people I've been speaking to, on you know on the Ericsson side of things, a little bit surprised that Spurs have kind of now taken this route, um, which maybe suggests they were they were certainly keen to begin with. Um, I mean, you know, obviously there's going to be all the Man U links. 
for me personally, I think I've said this from the the start, I would understand if he were to stay at Brentford because I think from a loyalty point of view, um, it was pointed out to me the other day quite rightly, yes, they were very good to him in giving him a chance to get back into football after the terrible events of last year, but obviously he was very good for them as well. <laughs> and, you know, we don't know what would have happened without him because they had that sudden surge under him. Whatever he, he was, there was pretty much, I don't think, I think they barely, pretty much won almost every game he started in for them, um, which was some record. So maybe you could argue that he helped keep them in the Premier League, which is worth whatever it is, 100 million or so. So I don't think there's probably anyone that owes anyone anything, but I just think in terms of being comfortable and settled, Brentford make uh, sense to me. Man U, I don't know if that makes as much sense. I think, uh, I get it. I get it. The name of Man U is, of course, a big one, but it's very much a, a team in a rebuild. Uh, the whole Ajax connection with with Ten Hag, of course. Um, but yeah, where he fits in with Bruno as well, I don't know. I mean, you know, you know, I know you were writing an article earlier. What's the situation with Brentford and, and Thomas Frank? I think everything's just up in the air at the moment regarding Ericsson. Uh, I think he himself hasn't decided where he's going. And that's what Thomas Frank is basically saying. He did an interview with uh, AS, the Spanish publication, and he's basically saying he's got an agreement with Christian that Christian, as soon as he knows what he's going to do, will let him know whether that's he's staying at Brentford or he's going to go elsewhere. And basically as well uh what he was saying is he really thomas frank really wants to know in the next two weeks uh because brentford will be like pretty much every other club will be resuming pre-season training uh around the start of july so it's, it's just the case of i think it's a bit of a, a waiting game now and with ericsson having played for denmark recently in the nations league games he's gonna have a bit of time off now and I mean, you were reeling off a number of teams there. He's got uh, got a decision to make. There's a number of options there, and I think for him, it's just about choosing uh, the best one. I think it's a bit of a surprise, really, with Tottenham that everyone thought he was pretty much nailed on that he would go back to Spurs, uh, be reunited with Conte, having played for him uh, in Milan, but. No, that looks like it's probably just not going to be the case now. So, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes. It would be nice for him to stay in the Premier League, but if Ajax are looking at him, would the reunion at Ajax be good for him, get to play in Champions League? I can see it at some point, but whether it's yeah. now, I don't think now's exactly. probably the right time for really it. 30, isn't he, now? I think it's too early for now. Yeah. I was wondering... And this is purely speculation and guesswork. It's absolutely not knowing who that La Liga club is. But I do know there's a very big La Liga club because of their financial situation have been looking at a lot of free transfers. And I do wonder, I wonder if it's Barcelona. Um, someone told me, earlier, I don't know how true it is, that they'd looked at him before in the past and, and maybe Messi wasn't too keen or something about that. I'm sure someone came up with that. I don't know how, how true that was. Um but yeah, Barcelona-wise, I guess if they did come into the picture, maybe that's something that Ericsson looks at to be able to have played for Barcelona. Didn't he... God, this is a memory tester. Was it Barcelona he went on trial and hated it as a, as a kid? I can't remember, to be honest. But... A club. 
There was a club he went to. People, no doubt, will be able to tell us on Twitter when they listen to this. I've got a funny feeling. He went to Barcelona for a few weeks as a kid and didn't like it at all. He just couldn't settle. Obviously, very different now. He's a 30-year-old man. He's not like a kid. Um, I feel like it was Barcelona. Uh, it really rings a bell. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got some of those relegation threatened teams like um you know Everton in there. I don't know whether he'd consider Everton or not. But as uh as Delhi convinced him. Yeah. Delhi yeah, might maybe. have convinced him that uh Goodison Park is the place to be. But going back to Barca, Barca and Madrid, they were always heavily linked with Ericsson like eighteen yeah. months prior to his move to Inter Milan and there was always talk of what a fee of around like a hundred million when he was at his pomp at Tottenham. Yeah. Uh but that just never happened. But no, Barca would be a good option. So would Goodison Park. Got Brentford as well, aren't they? Ajax. Yeah. Newcastle could offer big money, get to play with trips again. Yeah, but is it more about the club rather than the money? I think he'd be one to surely play Champions League football. I think he's made some noises in recent weeks, hasn't he, that that would be quite attractive. Um, yeah. So you'd maybe think that of the non-Champions League clubs, Brentford would be the one. That have got their. Uh, are you laughing? I'm not going to say Everton. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Everton, have, Everton got concentrated in the Premier League first, let alone Champions <laughs> League. Um, but yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens with him. But I've just been so surprised. It's just a real unified voice coming out of Spurs that just distancing themselves from it entirely. Um, so something has clearly made them change their mind, and, and, and we'll hopefully find out in the coming days. But. I mean, here's a question to you. So, Noah Erickson, despite the fact he ticked all the boxes, if Conte now wants to switch to a 3-5-2, who plays in that midfield three? Because I don't think, as good as those four central midfielders are, I don't think you can play a midfield three with them. I think they're too similar for that job. No, that's what I was going to say, was basically if you're sticking with a 3-4-3, where does Erickson play? Is he going to play in the right of the front three in Kuliseski's position is he going to take one of the two central midfield bursts I don't know I think I think all of them I think have. I think that's the thing isn't it you can do all of that but I think he'd probably be better in the three yeah in the midfield three like he was doing it in Milan. but if you're not gonna play it then I don't know is he just gonna find himself on the bench at Tottenham and um but we must get out of this mentality, Gesty. We must get out. Yeah. I guess that, you know, we mustn't go with that. We must be looking at a strong, strong squad and being able to change the options. Yeah. Um, but how many times did Conte play a midfield three last season? I can remember at Leicester, he did it. Was that because he didn't have the people to do it? Yeah, maybe. It worked. It, um, it was Winks at Leicester, wasn't it? Was it Winks, Winks played. He played really well. Winks, yeah. Skip and Hoibieg, I think yeah. it was. And then against Liverpool, I feel like it was Delhi, Tongi, and Winks in the 2 2. Yes. Yeah. Because that was the most surprising midfield three we ever expected. <laughs> and actually, they played really well. Um, and that's the thing with the 3 5 2. I do think um, it needs that uh, slightly more creative player in the three to make it work. Um, you know, I mean, I guess. I know Kulisevsky can play there. Maybe that's a part of the... Maybe they could, he could play there. I mean, there's other people. I know they like... Um, I'm going to kill the pronunciation of it. Is it Lucas Paqueta? 
the um, player, Leon the, uh, player, Leon midfielder, Liverpool, Newcastle have looked at quite seriously this season. Uh, sorry, last season. Um, I think they've been looking at him, and he kind of he's quite versatile. He would be able to play in that more deeper role, but also can play further up as a more advanced attacking midfielder and out wide. I think he plays on the right as well. He got a fair few goals and assists last season. I know they've always liked James Madison. It was interesting that James Madison, when I mentioned him before in an article, and people go, oh, he's rubbish, and stuff like that. And I thought, I don't remember him being rubbish. And I looked up his stats. Um, 18 goals and 12 assists last season, Madison. I did not realise he scored that many goals. No, I didn't. I, I know he had a really good season. I think yeah. he came out uh, with their Players Player of the Year award or Players Player. But no, I didn't realise his numbers yeah. were that good. And there's no mention of him in regards to the England squad. No. 30, so that's 30 goal involvements in total. I was superb. I mean, he's, let's be honest, he's a difficult one to get away. Um, he's got two years left in his contract, but all his talk seems to be about staying at Leicester next season. Everything I've seen him saying, so it, it's a difficult one. I've said in the past, they looked at Jesse Lingard. I spoke to his representatives in January about a free transfer. I don't personally think that Spurs would be able to offer Lingard enough regular football to make him choose them. I think he's probably either like to go to West Ham or abroad, maybe. Um, but yeah, th there's other options for Spurs, and there will be more that we're not um, aware of. But I can't help but think that Ericsson ticked all the boxes. Um, but hey, hey, we'll find out exactly the reason why Spurs started to veer away. Um, and you never know. Who knows? At the last minute, they might change their minds and, and come back. It, it is only two weeks, I guess, since that last contact. But like I say, just strange that everyone who's speaking within that club is saying no and just dis distancing themselves from it. But hey, that's football. That's the transfer window. Right. So what comes next for Tottenham in the transfer market following their first three signings? I think... You're looking at it, still need a new right wing back, need a new left-sided centre-back, and then I think another attacker, whether it is someone such as Richarlison, who was linked with Tottenham last week, whether you do go for a versatile forward rather than another out-and-out -out striker. But I think whatever happens this summer, Tottenham need to get someone who can play in that central role up front because... How many years have we been talking about it now where they just never can, you know, bring in someone to play in that position? Obviously, they had Carlos Vinicius uh, the other season. He did well in the Europa League when he was given game time, but barely given a chance in the Premier League. And given the amount of games coming up, Harry Kane is going to need a rest at some point this season. He probably won't want to. He will, as you know, he'll probably want to play every single minute of every game. Uh, but I think those are certainly the next three priorities for Fabio Paratici and Antonio Conte in the transfer market. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite funny. The reason I laugh is, first off, you talking about Richarlison. That made me chuckle anyway, just to see whether <laughs> what your view is going to be on that one. Um, but secondly... I had one chap on Twitter earlier who was proclaiming to me he couldn't understand why everything had gone so quiet with Spurs in the transfer market. And it was a bit like, 
<laughs> you sign someone on Saturday. <laughs> it's just, I just find it so funny. And, you know, there's a sign three players and the window's only been open a week. And uh, I just, it's so funny. It's just the way we're so, we just crave football transfer stuff, don't we? And it's just funny. It's like, it's almost forgetting that literally had a massive, really exciting new signing just a couple of days ago. Um yeah, what next is an interesting one. I'm obviously, you know, Jed Spence is the one that, you know, we think Spurs will uh, make that move for. It's an interesting scenario, that one. Obviously, we know that Spence appears to favour a move to Spurs. And I just, I wonder whether Spurs are doing their age-old trick now of, well, we know he wants to come to us. And we don't like the price that he's currently got on his head. So... We'll wait this one out a little bit and see how nervous the selling club gets. But what I would say about that, if that is what they're doing, it's worked for them a couple of times, but there's a few times it's gone spectacularly wrong. <laughs> um, Jack Grealish probably being the biggest one in recent memory I can remember. Um, so, yeah, we'll see with Spence. Uh, like I've said before, there, there are a lot of clubs that are interested in him, including you know, very good clubs like Dortmund and Rome and... Uh, and Newcastle as well, and so and Brentford actually as well on that one. So yeah, I, I think we'll we'll see some move in that. I think those in his camp expected something to have happened by now. They certainly thought last week there would be developments, um, but nothing yet. And it may be that it's I know we, the Middlesbrough price tag we keep hearing is twenty million or over. Um, and I guess if you're going to try and look at that objectively for a player who's only had one real breakthrough season, it's come in the Championship, not the Premier League, I guess 20 million, yes, you could maybe say is quite a high valuation for a 21-year-old that hasn't really done anything yet in, in relative terms. Uh, so I do understand that. But, um, yeah, maybe that's what kind of front um, backloaded stuff and, and add-ons and things for the future are all about when it comes to those kind of young player deals. Um, but yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see on that. But certainly, unless Spurs kind of get bored of waiting and they go for another right wing back target that comes up, or someone, you know, some door opens in that one. The other one, obviously, is is the left sided centre back. Actually, I think a couple of centre backs. I think, from what I understand, it they're looking at not just someone for the left. Um, you know, the Bastoni stuff will roll on until either one of two things happens. Either they sell Skriniar to PSG. If that happens, I think we then just close the door on the Bastoni talk. Or I guess the other way is if Inter just gets so desperate for money that they say to Spurs, we'll tell you what, make us a decent offer and we might convince him that maybe it is time to leave. But yeah, it's one of those scenarios where do Spurs, as much as they highly rate Bastoni, and certainly we know Conte and Paratici do, is there a point when it's a bit like, oh, do you just crack on now with your summer and your transfer window? I mean, there may be that they think that's the position that they can hold off on because of the players they already have. But I would say that's probably one position they've only got one player in, and that's Ben Davies. So I don't know if you can. Um yeah, I mean, it'd be really fascinating. I mean, the, the quotes from um, Giuseppe Marotta, um, the Inter-CEO, said this week, he was asked about Skriniar, but his answer was kind of a little bit vague. He said, it's certainly easier to replace a centre-back than a striker. Probably will be forced to sell someone in that position. So read into that what you will. I would 
suggest it's likely to be Skriniar, especially as PSG seems to be so heavily linked with him. But the fact that he didn't say Skriniar in particular was quite interesting. Um, and we know they're trying to sign Lukaku and Dybala, who, although one will be a loan and one will be a free transfer, wages-wise, that you know, that'll be big money for the two of those. I think Chelsea are looking for Lukaku's full wages to be paid. Um, they're going to need money. Uh, they are. And I... I yeah, maybe that's what Spurs are doing. Just waiting to see how that situation resolves itself first. Um, in terms of other players, you know, we know they like um, Bremer from from uh, Torino, who Inter really like as well. Um, so whether there's a bit of gamesmanship there, and there's a bit like, well, if you're not going to let us have Pastoni, we're going to sign Bremer. Um, it may be that Bremer has already set himself on joining Inter, so it might not work like that, but... We know he's one, and obviously um, the one I wrote about uh, last was over last week or the week before. Ilya Zabarny, um, the Ukrainian nineteen-year-old. I think he plays for Kiev. I think it is Dynamo Kiev. Um, he's certainly touted as a major star for the future. And obviously, with Ukrainian football, we don't know what happens next for them. Obviously, with the terrible things going on over there. Um, I'd, be, I'd certainly be inclined to keep an eye on what happens with him because I think there's a few clubs who know that this guy within a year or two is going to be worth mega money um, and maybe you get in there first now. He's a big lad as well. I think he'd be very suited to the Premier League. Um, yeah, and, and you know we've listed all the centre-back names that we know Spurs like before, so we're going to do that again, you know. There's a whole long list of them that they've been looking at, um, and I'm sure there'll be more to come in. I saw the Clement Longley stuff again today from Spain. Um, very much the Spanish papers starting to kind of push that again with him. Um, yeah, it's a it's a funny position that one because when you've got your kind of top top people you want in it, and and I, I know the top two choices for that role were Bastoni and Guardiol. Both very difficult players to prize away from their respective clubs. Then you're kind of turning towards other players on your list, and, and there's differing chances of getting some of those players as well, and obviously differing opinions on, on how good they'll be. Um, I mean, who would you, in an ideal world, who would you want Spurs to bring in in that? Uh, let's say you've got two choices. They're going to bring in two centre backs. Let's say Joe Roden's going to head out, hopefully on loan. Um, who would you say would be the two centre-backs you'd go for? Uh, Bastoni, if yeah. possible. But obviously that's all going to be dependent on Inter's finances and the player himself, whether he wants to remain at the San Siro or not. Uh, another one, maybe Bremer. He seems yeah. to uh, have done well for himself at Torino. I think everyone's been raving about him. But again... Foreign playing numbers, you've just got to be careful, haven't you? Yeah, really. Uh, well, Mark so think, Gway, is it Gway, the Palace? Um, Mark Gerhi, yeah, Gerhi, yeah. There you go, there's the proper man. Gerhi, yeah, he'd be uh, a really good signing as well, but I think he'd cost quite a bit, wouldn't he? Yeah, uh, I know they like him, but I think he's got a reasonable bit of contract left as well, hasn't he? I think he would be big money. Yeah, uh, so I don't know. Gerhi, uh, yeah, would be a good signing but I think the good thing is what what June 21st now yeah got over two months left but we want it now Guesty why has it come so slow <laughs> well I think the the fact that 
they've had Nations League fixtures as well. That just slows everything yeah. down as well. And now and the players on holiday as well slows it down a little I mean, bit. As why well. on earth? Why on earth was international football still being played in the middle of June? And plays like why Harry Kane that are going to be played in November next year in a World yeah. Cup. <laughs> I mean, you likes of Harry Kane and you know Hugo Lloris plays have been on international duty. They're really going to have three weeks off again. They just never yeah, get a break now. Yeah, never get a, a break now. So, yeah, going back to the centre-backs, I think, yeah, Bastoni for the left-sided one, uh, right-sided Bremer, maybe Gerhi. I don't know. I have I to wait and needs, see. It needs to be someone, I think, who can play on the right and centrally because if Roden goes, Conte would always say that he was the backup for Dyer, wouldn't he, in the middle. So I do think they need to. I think Bremer can certainly do that. I really like the idea of Zabani. The more um, I hear about him, the more I read about him, I, I do think he's going to be a star for the future. So, yeah, be interesting to see. I mean, let's talk further up the pitch then. As you've mentioned, the man who likes to uh, <laughs> complain and be on the floor quite a lot for Everton, Richarlison, um, also a good player. I admit he is a good player as well. Um but he is certainly one who enjoys the dark arts that I was talking about Hoybier being good at. Um, I mean, we'll talk about attacking midfielders before we head on to strikers, but obviously they're going to have to replace Steven Bergwijn at some point. That that move is going to happen when Ajax finally get up to the price that Spurs want, which will be, be much closer to the £27 million they paid for him from PSV. Um so, obviously, we know some of the names that Spurs like. We know there's Richarlison. We know, of course, Rafinha is the one at the moment, um, which is an interesting one because every single report seems to be that he's got his heart set on um, Barcelona. Barcelona probably the one team right now who can't really sign anyone for any reasonable amount of money. And imagine he'd be a fair bit of money from Leeds as well. I think he would be um, not a true. I really like him. If I'm going to be completely honest, uh, and you'll probably be happy with this, I'd pick him over Richarlison if I've got to pick one of the two Brazilians. I do. I, I really like Rafinha. And obviously, you also get the set-piece ability that comes with him as well. Um, I like him. I like him a lot. Um, and then the other one's obviously Alan St. Maximin. They like as well. I'm sure their attention will turn back to Adama Traore at some point <laughs> <laughs> because he's in his last year of his deal and he's back from that incredible loan spell at Barcelona where he played well for about a week or two. Um, yeah, I mean, all four of those, I think, would be players that would fit in at Spurs. Certainly three players with a bit more end product and then Adama Traore. Um, and no, no, that's, I'm being harsh. Adama Traore does have his qualities and potentially... In a Spurs team, he would be able to make more of an impact, more cause a bit of chaos, I guess, for others to then profit from. Although I would say he may be slightly worrying that when he did step up to a bigger team and going back to Barcelona, it didn't work for him after those first two weeks. He barely played or barely started a match after that. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was going to be a silly question, but I was going to ask you who you'd take out of those lot. Uh, well, speaking as an Everton fan, not Richarlison. <laughs> but obviously, we know there's going to have to be a big sale this this summer. Uh, one of Richarlison or Calvert-Lewin well, will have to go. <laughs> or both will have to go just because of the financial situation. 
but in an ideal world, Richarlison would stay, but I think pretty much everyone knows he, he will likely be on the move. I think it'd be a really good addition at Tottenham. Someone who obviously knows the Premier League, uh, scored a number of goals and assists last season in the team what struggled for pretty much all of the season. And we were a team that weren't really threatening in the final third when Rafa Benitez was manager, but Richarlison was still, you know, contributing and contributed really well in the final few months of the season, scored a number of big goals, uh, notably against Chelsea and then Leicester and uh, Crystal Palace when we needed them. So I think it'd be a really good signing, especially because he can play up front as well. He can play on, you know, either flank. His Premier League experience is someone who could just come in in straight away and just, you know, hit the ground running. It's that bit of devilment as well to him, what I think Spurs is probably need in the team. What what are you saying? Fifty million? Yeah, no, I, I think that's more than more than fifty million. Around fifty million, I think no. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think I think we signed him for thirty five, what could rise to fifty million. So you'd be looking at around that fee for him. I think What's that's he got left on his contract. I don't know. He'll have a few years. Uh, I feel like it's a couple. Maybe it's two years left. Maybe, maybe two or three. No, I think yeah. fifty million's current market value. I think looking at the prices some players go for now, I think fifty million is fine. I think, yeah, for me. I'd rather, they went for Gordon. That's not going to happen. <laughs> if anyone can see Guesty's face when I said that. I really no. like, I think he's going to be some player. Yeah, he's good. In terms of Richarlison, for, if he's gone to go somewhere, for work purposes, I would like him <laughs> to go to Tottenham, not just to watch him on a weekly basis, just to see how you react to him, given that obviously <laughs> you've mentioned a number of times that he goes down too easy, he dives, he cheats, whatever. And then a and then a couple of weeks into the season, you'll be saying he's the best Brazilian since Pele, won't you? So, I mean, that's why I'm waiting. Gilberto, um, <laughs> the old Spurs left back. Um, yeah, yeah, I like all those options. And I think it kind of leads us nicely into the next area to talk about is that Spurs have got to make a decision. on They want another striker, but they've got to make that decision. Do they buy a focal point striker like Harry Kane? You know, they've done it in the past with Lorente and Janssen and Vinicius. Or do they look for someone, like you've just said, that Richarlison that can maybe cover both roles? Um, you know, Vinicius, that was kind of, he was able to play out wide, I guess, as well. Um, and you look at that, and St. Maximum probably can play up front if required. Troy could be a support striker if required. I don't know, Rafinha, can Rafinha play out there? I think I see him more as a wide man. Um and Perisic can play up front. Obviously, they've got him already. He can do that. So, yeah, I wonder, you know, the one I've been thinking about this week, although um, Marotta did say very much, hands off, he's not going anywhere. But I just wonder where Latoro Martinez fits in with this, the Dybala and Lukaku signing. I mean, yes, they may go in the most incredible front three um, kind of idea, but and, and like I said, he was very clear of, no, no, he's a massive part of our plans. He's not going anywhere in this interview with the radio. But I just I just wonder, if Inter looking for money, 
and they know Spurs have liked Latoura Martinez, and we know Conte and Paratici both like him. He's a statement signing and a half, I think, if they were to go for him. Um, yeah, I'm intrigued to see what happens with him and whether they do test the result. I know he only signed a new deal, uh, was it October last year? So he would be a fair bit of money they demand for him. But um, yeah, yeah, I'm intrigued to see what happens with his situation and whether they do hold on to him as tightly as possible. What would you go for in that striking role? Would you go for a multitasker? Would you go for a young, um, up-and-coming, maybe more number nine type, or would you try and sign a big star name for that role? I think it's all going to come down to money and what's available if you want, you know, the big name star. Obviously, Latoura Martinez would be an excellent addition if you could get him in, but that's all going to depend on Inter's finances. And then are they going to sell him and then just bring Lukaku in on loan, really, I don't know. I mean, yeah. if you sell Martinez, then surely you buy Lukaku permanently because they've got Edin Dzeko there as well, True. who's obviously not getting any younger. Dybala's had a number of injuries. So. And they're a good partnership as well, Dybala, uh, uh, yeah. Martinez and um, Lukaku. Yeah, so I didn't... All Spurs fans would probably prefer uh, Martinez as the player to come in in the big money yeah. deal. So, I mean, everyone wanted that to happen 12 months ago, and unfortunately, it, it never did. Oh, because I'd probably, Lukaku. yeah, I'd probably go for Rich Allison, just someone who can play in a variety of positions in the front three. But then, do you, with the money you have left, and there's been talk of Ben Brereton Diaz. Do you bring in someone like him as well? Do you bring in two I, players? I really like the idea of him. I do. I do. Every, you know, I've heard his name mentioned a couple of times. I know there's historic interest there from uh, in him from Tottenham, but nothing kind of more recent. You know, when, a bit when I was talking about the Ericsson thing in a slightly different way, I think he ticks all the boxes. 23-year-old, yes, he's a Chile international. I think you have to look up his very interesting journey to becoming a Chile international. You know, technically he's born in Stoke-on-Trent. He's homegrown. Um, scored was it, about 22, 23 goals in the championship last season. Uh, 23 years old, he would definitely he'd be fine with taking a little bit less game time in order to step up a level, learn from Kane and Son. And I do, I think he'd be a, a really perfect signing there. I don't think it would cost a lot. I think you're looking at about maybe 15 million tops. Um, and I think, yeah, as a, as a as someone that is is probably less likely to kick up a fuss as a bit more of a backup, um, but also getting plenty of game time because the amount of games. I think, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head bringing his name up because I do. I think he'd be perfect. But, again, you know, Spurs may have other ideas. They may have more players from foreign climbs they're looking at. But uh, I think if you're looking for a striker... I think someone's going to snap him up. I know there's a fair bit of interest, and I think West Ham looking at him as well, among others. Um, I think Leeds are the other one looking at him quite seriously as well. I feel like he's one who's going to come into the Premier League and, and adapt. He's quite a physical striker, but with good technical ability. Um, yeah, If I were Spurs, for the sake of 15 million and those homegrown numbers that we love, I think it makes sense. Yeah, the thing is as well, uh, Brereton Diaz is a big lad as well, so You've got a presence there up front if you want if you want to uh, put him on. And 
I know he didn't really have the best at, best of times at Blackburn. Uh, prior to last season, he was getting a few goals here and there, but I think 20-plus goals last season. I think he hit about 20 goals come November or December uh, because I can remember, I think, I think it was Skybet or something, but it was like Brereton Diaz was 1,000 to 1 to get 20 goals that season. And a lot of Blackburn fans backed him and won quite oh, a lot nice. of money off it uh i think he'd be a really uh good option and, and finally scored, contracts as well yeah scored goals for fun uh I, I think it was probably a reason why blackburn didn't get the playoffs in the end because he was out injured for a period at yeah. around i think like march april time and they were on a really good run prior to that yeah i think he'd be uh a really really good addition and ended the day if you bring him in for say 15 million and it doesn't work out, I think you're still going to get a good fee for him, even if you move him on. I think it, it yeah. should be someone Spurs could look at. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. But plenty of time, plenty of time, everyone. You know, I think they've got so many important building blocks in in this transfer window already. Um, and pre season is almost upon us, you know, with his. Uh, Certainly know there's three players that will be heading back to Hotspur Way um, on Monday. They will be um, Oliver Skip, Jaffet Tenganga and Matt Doherty. Um, Oliver Skip, I understand, has already begun his pre-season training. Um, he's been put on a programme of stuff to do. He is fully fit and ready and raring to go. So he's been doing some training of his... Uh, away from Hotspur Way, but he'll be back in on Monday to start his stuff because obviously those three players... A little bit behind everyone else in terms of sharpness because of their respective injuries. Obviously, Oliver Skips was a pelvic injury, um, but he is ready and raring to go. Jaffet Tanganga, I understand that he is fully fit now as well after his knee surgery back in March. So he should be able to hit the ground running from Monday onwards, and he will, from what I understand, be used quite heavily in the friendlies, and then Conte will make a decision on what happens next with him. I would say with Tanganga, we talk about all these defensive things, and Tanganga, yes, he did have a bit of a wobble, I think, um, midway through the season with a couple of games where he was making some mistakes, but he's a very versatile young defender who can play in any of those three centre-back roles. Um, and I just wonder whether squad-wise, kind of the decision they've got to make is really, is Conte is... is for the squad, do you keep him because he can give you cover all across the, the back line? But then in terms of his career development, probably needs a loan, if we'll be honest, and playing week in, week out somewhere. Uh, and then Matt Doherty, obviously also a knee problem, same as Tanganga. He didn't have surgery. Um, I think Conte said in mid-April, seven to eight weeks, but certainly some of the noises coming out of the club at the time where it could be anywhere up to 12 weeks it was a medial collateral ligament injury. Um, it could take up that long. So I think we're looking early in pre-season for him to be back and kind of the the, the full fitness that we uh, they want him to be. But yeah, so the three of them back um, Monday. Then the non-internationals will come back early the following week. And then the international players will be back just in time for that flight to Korea. <laughs> Literally, come off your holidays, crack on another flight and head over to Korea. Um, yeah, I mean, what, what do you what do you think next season holds for all three of those, Skip, Tanganga and Doherty? It's an interesting one with Skip now because 
go back to February, March time, and you're thinking as soon as Skip's fit, he goes straight back into that starting 11. But Hoiberg finished the season really strong. Yves Bissouma has come in now, is a quality addition. So, yeah. It was rather good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's. I think everyone was just thinking at the time, Skip and Benton Kerr are going to be the midfield partnership going forward. But that might not be the case now. So, yeah, I think first and foremost, Skip just got to, you know, back to full fitness, just make a big impression on Antonio Conte this season in the pre-season games and then go from there. But I think that's a position, position what's certainly not set in stone yet. And as you were saying earlier in the pod, it could change multiple times throughout the season. Tanganga, for me personally, I think he needs a loan for the sake of his career. One night, Oliver Skip had at Norwich and then he can come back a better player. But then you've got to look at it from a squad point of view and the homegrown numbers, what Spurs need to, you know, make sure they're hitting. He's a player who will provide versatility in a number of positions, centre-back, right side and centre-back, plays a right wing-back as well. Uh, I think as much as he needs a loan, I think Spurs should keep him. This season, you can't keep, you can't leave yourself too short in certain positions. And I think if there's going to be any movement at centre back, then it's going to be Joe Roden. And then if there's another exit, maybe Davinson Sanchez, maybe I don't know. And then uh, finally, Matt Doherty. I'd like to see Matt Doherty start games next season. I thought it was really, really good. Uh, prior to his injury at Aston Villa, was hitting his stride, contributing with goals and assists. You know, played really well against Everton in the home game. Leeds away as well. Was it Newcastle at home as well? Played really well. Uh, I think that's when he scored. Oh, did he score? He assisted He assisted Emerson and he wasn't given... Well. It was a 5-1, wasn't it? Yeah. Assisted Emerson and it wasn't given as an Wow, that was that one. Was some reason. Reason. Yeah, yeah. Not given to him, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, if Jed Spence comes in, it's whether he's good enough, really, to, you know, go straight into that team, given he's not really played Premier League football yeah. before. But, he starts, doesn't he, to begin with. And then they yeah. start to rotate. And then it's it's a good battle, I think. So it's a nice youth, and like a 21-year-old and a 30-year-old. It's a nice combo there. Yeah, uh, I think across the pitch, I think everyone's just got a fight on the hands to, yeah. you know, win a place in Conte's best eleven. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's fascinating to see what happens with them all and what's still to come. Because you know, I, I still think we're probably looking at least another three signings, maybe more, depending on who goes out the door. That's the thing we haven't even really spoken about outgoings. You know, we've spoken about the likes of Roden and Winks, but. There's still Tongi on Dembele. There's still Giovanni Lo Celso. It's what happens with Brian Hill next. Um, there are, and like you say, Davinson Sanchez. I know uh, Monaco certainly got a bit of interest in him, and, and I think there'd have to be a big bid to get him away. To be honest, um, although it's an interesting one with him. I think with him, I wouldn't be surprised if he wants to go somewhere and play regularly, because I think in his mind, probably he's not in those first choice back three at the moment. Um, but yeah, someone's even with two years left, I think Spurs would ask for a fair bit of money for him. Um, 
And then, yeah, Stephen Bergevine, like we say, and there's always a surprise bid. There's always a random bid that comes in for a play you didn't expect to head out. Um, and we'll just see who that is. Um, but, yeah, yeah, exciting times. Squad building and plenty of fixtures ahead. Yeah, we finally got the new fixtures uh, last Thursday. I think decent start for Spurs. Uh, first home game against Southampton, uh, Saturday, August 6th. 3 p.m. kickoff. We've not had one of those for uh, a while at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And then it's on to Chelsea the following week uh, away. Uh, then it's Wolves at home, Nottingham Forest away, and West Ham away to complete August. Happy with the first five games? Yeah, I think so. Just before I say, while we're recording this, uh, Yves Basuma has posted a photo of himself on Instagram using his first Come On You Spurs. <laughs> An exciting time for everyone involved. Um, but back to the fixtures. Yeah, I think starting at home is always a good thing, of course. Um, we saw what he even managed to do against Man City last season. I think, personally, if I could pick a time to play Chelsea away you'd probably on paper go for the first one of the season because they're a team in transition. You know, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes there. Looks to be key figures behind the, in the boardroom going out players wise. They've got, I don't think they've signed a player yet, have they? Because of everything that's happened. They've got lots of players heading out the door, you know, and experienced defenders heading out the door as well. So yeah, I think maybe they could still be in a little bit of flux by that point, And that could be a good time to play them. Cue Chelsea winning 5-0 or something, but on paper, it would be a good time to do it. Wolves at home again. Um, yeah, I think that start isn't too bad. Um, obviously, there's different periods of the season where it starts to get a bit messy. Um, notably, if I remember correctly, wasn't it February is a bit horrendous? Yes, February. I mean, you've got a North London derby just into January, but then February brings you... Uh, City at home, Leicester away, West Ham at home, Chelsea at home, and I think interspersed with those, if they were still in the Champions League, would also be Champions League games. And that's another key thing. I think I said it earlier, the Champions League matches, I looked at when they crop up and they come after or before, you know, uh, I think I said Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal matches. This is where this huge, bigger new squad is going to have to really come into play because if you're playing huge games three in a week, you've got to be able to rotate without any drop in quality. Um, and then, obviously, there's the United-Liverpool double bill towards the end of the season. Again, we should stress that these will move around. There will be games that suddenly end up elsewhere because of cup fixtures. There will be, you know possible postponements as Spurs found with their North London derby last season, which suddenly shoved itself right towards the end. Um, but yeah, I'd say at the moment, again, on paper, our favorite expression, the last four games, Palace at home, Villa away, Brentford at home, Leeds away. Probably you'd pick those kind of fixtures to run in your season. What I would say is the last, what, four away games, I'm not going to include Goodison Park, but the last four away games, you know, probably the noisiest um, away grounds to go to or among them when they're on song. Obviously, Anfield, uh, Newcastle, when they get going, and it will be a very different Newcastle next season. I think we know that. Uh, Villa away is a, a good noisy ground, and Leeds can be. Go on, I'll, I'll shove Everton in there as well, just for the sake of it. But weren't you saying 
back in May, it were really quiet at Anfield. No, I knew you were going to say that. It was quiet other than <laughs> first 15 minutes, last 15 minutes, and after they scored, yes, I was surprised uh, at the noise levels. But it hasn't been that in the past. To be fair, I've been there for games where it has been noisy more throughout the game. But I was really... I think I said that, didn't I? There was this very Liverpool-centric pundit next to me who was saying to me, like, like knocking me on the elbow, going, oh, isn't it an amazing atmosphere here? And I was like, yeah, for about 25 minutes in total of the 90, yeah. But, uh, you know, I felt... And I think we'd just come off of the Spurs game. I can't remember what it was, where the atmosphere was incredible. It was probably North London Derby, it might have even been. Um, or maybe that was after. I'm trying, I might be getting mixed up. But certainly, it's Spurs' atmosphere towards the end of the season, we had some cracking noise going on uh, in those games. But yeah, fixtures-wise, it is what it is. You play every team twice. It's one of those, I think we probably get a slightly too, um, look into it a slightly too much. And it does all move around. And there will be times when you all play what look like big matches, but they may have key players missing. Um, and likewise, um, you know, COVID will probably still be a thing, I'd imagine, this season. At times, there will be players who won't be able to play because of it. We haven't quite got past that stage yet. Um, but, yeah, it's just exciting to have the fixtures and to know where we're going, to know the long trips you and I have got uh, facing us. Um Although, thank thankfully, a nice home game to start. Actually, there's no real long trips, is there, until end of August? No. Yeah, end of August with the Forest one, which isn't the longest trip in the world, but still. And obviously, all the ones that have come up, two of those, well, they're spread out, I guess, a bit, haven't they, with Forest, Bournemouth and Fulham. I'm looking forward to going back to Craven Cottage. I like Craven Cottage. It's proper old school stadium, that one. Um, and I haven't actually seen their redevelopment yet, the little because the new stand was starting to be done when we last um, went to them in the Premier League. So, yeah, good to see it all laid out on paper and to know where you and I will be heading. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I certainly agree with you in terms of playing Chelsea early doors, uh, given, as you said, they're going to be in a bit of transition. You just don't know what's going to happen uh, there in the coming weeks and given they've lost a lot of players, but also the fact that Chelsea didn't finish the season strongly at all. I thought they were really poor towards the end. And if the mm. league had gone on for a few weeks longer, they might have even dropped out the top four at uh, the rate they were going. And does that lull maybe carry on into the new season? Because you've seen it before where, for example, Liverpool, uh, the previous season, finished the season really strongly to get a Champions League place than they started last season uh, really well as well. So potentially could carry on Chelsea's bad form. And I think the good thing is Antonio Conte and Spurs will want to go there and make a real uh, impact against Chelsea and send a real message out because they weren't in the games at all against Chelsea uh, at the start of the year when it was the Carabao Cup and then the Premier League. So they certainly want to make a real impression. As ever, in terms of the league fixtures, uh, they're all subject to change. I think on the Premier League website, saying around July the 5th, the first batch of TV fixtures will be announced for August and September. I don't think the Premier League hit any of the dates they put down last year, so <laughs> who knows when they're going to be uh, announced. We've but got it, the opening it, weekend ones, haven't we? We yeah. know that Spurs will have a three o'clock on a Saturday for the first time in how long? Is it? 
couple of seasons. That thing. Was it Burnley? Burnley at yes, home, the five nil. Yes, last time. That's incredible. Yeah, long, long time ago. Uh, so obviously, yeah, dates are subject to change, but it will be around early August when those TV fixtures are announced for August and September and. I know you you always have a look at the fixtures and a lot of fans will probably be dreading when they're playing the likes of City and Liverpool. No, no teams that want to face Spurs this season. Antonio Conte is Tottenham. Given how strongly they finished last season and then with the summer additions as well, I think a lot of teams will be fearful of Spurs. Yeah, I think so. I think... Remember last year, pretty much all the pundits' predictions, Spurs were like sixth and seventh and stuff like that. I would be stunned if there's many pundits that don't have Spurs as probably their fourth placed in their their picks. I think that's where you'll see a lot of them. But you know what? As we've been saying, I think this is the season to take advantage of Chelsea. I do think it is. I mean, could, could be completely wrong. And Tuchel's a very good manager. He may well get them all organised and sorted really quickly. But... I'd say with what's happening at Spurs and was also what's happening at Chelsea, I think maybe that they, they, they'll see that. Conte will see that as a chance to kind of forge Spurs as a top three side, which they were. Spurs were a top three side for three years in a row under Poch. Yeah, I think they were third, second, third, weren't they? Um, so, yeah, they've been there and they've done it, and I think they can get back to that, obviously. Man City and Liverpool are ridiculous. They are a level above everyone at the moment, and then they go out and sign Haaland and Nunes, and it's just like, oh, brilliant. But if there's there's no, you know, there's no way you can kind of deny that Conte's got the ability to shake up the natural order of things. That's what he does. That's what he goes into clubs and tries to do. And I think if he has the pre-season he's hoping to have, gets the players in he wants to have, who knows what could happen next season? You know, you've got the domestic cups as well. Champions League is going to be an experience because um, Spurs do have better pedigree, funnily enough, in the Champions League than Conte does, which is a strange little role reversal in terms of him being a manager. Um, but definitely in the Premier League, yeah, I, I think uh, I think we can exciting times. Here we are, twelve months on this stage last year. I think we were pulling our hair out, and uh, you know we were. Just about, I think we're about to get Nuno, weren't we, around this time? It was I think that, that was in, end of June, wasn't it, when yeah. Nuno was appointed to nearly the one-year anniversary. Yeah, and let's be honest, uh, whatever positive vibes we could have got from the Nuno time, and the expectations were still not high. You know, we were not thinking that Spurs were going to be a top-four side. It was going to be, a, it felt like a bit of a rebuild. Um, under Conte, it doesn't. It feels like something really exciting. Um, just hope, hope we keep there. You know, everyone keeps him happy because we know we've seen what happens in the past. Uh, keep him happy. Keep the big players happy. We might even see a new Harry Kane contract if he continues to stay happy. Um, and yeah, you know, star names, bring in new faces. Ah, oh, Guesty, you and I, we could be having some fantastic champions league nights and big nights in the premier league and i think we deserve it quite frankly i've never Spurs have put us through in recent years i think us and the fans deserve to have some really exciting things to report no i'm really looking forward to this season especially now with the fixtures are out we know where we're going to be going when exactly with all the new signings so far 
I mean, middle of June, three signings already. This isn't Tottenham Hotspur. This is <laughs> this is something else. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a really, really good season. Hopefully, fingers crossed. But as always, there's plenty of ups and downs. Just hopefully, there'll be a lot more ups than downs. Right, I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Golden Guest Hot Tottenham. We will be back next week. I don't think we'll be having another three-week break for a while. <laughs> so, no, no, and that's why we did a bumper one today. I'd like to think just to make up for uh, missing the last couple of weeks. Yeah, plenty to discuss today. Eves Bissouma, Christian Eriksen, Pierre Emil Hoybier. What comes next in the transfer market? Tottenham's return for pre-season training and the new Premier League fixtures all discussed. So as ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.